Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Week 10 edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Well, they're the 0-9 Jets now after uh, Monday night's 30-27 loss to the Patriots. They are now the first, repeat, the first 0-9 team in Jet history, and that's really saying something First time in 61 years that a Jet team started with nine straight losses. It is mind-boggling. And we're going to get into a little bit about Monday night's game. Not a whole lot. Just a couple of details. A couple of things I have to get off my chest. But I just want to say this is going to be kind of our mid-season uh, show, even though it's technically a little past mid-season. I think the league celebrates the mid-season this week. So in the second quarter... Instead of our a weekly guest, I'm going to do my midseason awards. I think that'll be fun. I think you'll enjoy that. And we'll get into the third and fourth quarters after that with the usual uh, array of topics. But for now, I just want to assess where the Jets are at. And let's put the record aside for a second. We know it's bad. But actually, that is not even the worst part about the season. To me, nine games into the season... And the Jets have a major question at quarterback. And going into the year, everybody said, well, it's not a playoff team. The most important thing is Sam Darnold. Develop Sam Darnold under Adam Gase. And so here we are, and we still don't know about Sam Darnold. And not only do we not know about him, but now he's injured. He's got a shoulder injury again. It was bothering him so much last Friday that he pulled himself out of practice. And I think that was telling. If you know Sam's toughness, you know that it had to be really bad for him to pull himself out of practice. Of course, he sits out the game as Joe Flacco starts. And so we talked to Sam and Adam Gase on Tuesday, day after the Patriot game. And neither one was guaranteeing, or they were very noncommittal, to be quite frank, about whether Sam will play in two weeks against the Chargers. And so they're going to go through rehab, go through maybe a throwing regimen, and it's going to be the same thing all over again. And I would not be shocked if Sam Darnold does not play against the Chargers, especially since Flacco had a pretty good game on Monday night, so you feel okay going with him. And it's really unfortunate that the Jets are seven weeks from the end of the season. They have this major, major question about the quarterback position. Sam was not having a good year, although, as I've said before, it's not all his fault. This is organizational failure, uh, poor coaching, uh, poor personnel. So not all on Sam Darnold, but yet still somewhat of an unknown because we have not seen consistent play out of Sam Darnold. And there's a good chance... They'll be going into the offseason still not knowing what his ceiling is. You think it's pretty high. You hope it's high, but you don't know. And you're going to have to make that quarterback decision because, look, at the Jets are going to be picking either first or second in the draft probably. So you have a chance to get a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields. Fields is really gaining on Lawrence based on the talent evaluators. Uh, he could give him a run for the number one spot, but it's a, a much closer gap between one and two. And so the Jets are going to have to make that decision. And we've talked about it on past episodes. And so that's the sad part about this season. Yeah, 0-9 is horrendous. But the fact that you're 0-9, your quarterback's banged up with a right shoulder injury, and he still hasn't come close to his potential, 
that's it's, it's borderline criminal. I mean, that really is a really tough spot. We'll just talk about the game a little bit. I don't want to get into too many details because, I mean, what's it matter at this point? But a couple of things jumped out at me. Some coaching points, some clock management points. Fourth and three in the first quarter at the plus 40 and you punt. You know, you're 0-8 at that point and you punt against a team that hadn't scored a first quarter touchdown all year. Uh, that was a bad decision by Adam Gase, and I think he knows it. On Tuesday, he was actually talking to Joe Douglas about that play, and I'm reading between the lines a little bit here now, but I have a feeling Douglas probably told him you should have gone for that one there, and he absolutely should have. Otherwise, you know, the Jets played a very competitive game. The offense actually resembled an NFL offense, especially in the first half, so that was encouraging. Uh, the one trend that I just like to point out, which is really quite startling, the second half of games. What the heck has happened in the second half of these games? Over the last three games in the second half, the Jets have been outscored 46 to 7. They've been outgained 755 to 145, and in number of plays, 130 to 53. I mean, how is that even possible? How could you be outgained 755 to 145? Uh, you know, and everyone's going to say, oh, lack of halftime adjustments. Well, yeah, I think that's part of it, but I think I think it's mainly a talent issue. You see it all the time in the NFL, and I've covered so many bad teams that I actually have seen this before. You know, uh, uh, you know teams can hang around for two, maybe three quarters, and usually the cream rises in the fourth quarter. The better team usually wins. So the Jets are hanging around in this game, hanging around, hanging around, and they just blow it at the end. I think it's mainly a talent issue, especially on defense. They allowed three straight scoring drives to end the game. And so I'm not absolving the coaching staff, you know, because the halftime adjustments are clearly not there, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But that's mainly a talent issue when you're blowing games like that or even not basically not competing in games in the second half. So that's pretty rough. But, uh, you know, hey, that's why they're 0-9 and we got a quarterback issue. And that's the worst place for an NFL team to be. We'll be back right after this. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And this is the second quarter, but a different second quarter than usual. We're not going to have a guest in this week because I'm going to do some mid-season awards. The Samini Awards here got a few categories. We're going to run them down and hit on some of the highs and lows. Uh, maybe not too many highs from the first nine games. So uh, let's get it started. The uh, best rookie goes to Makai Becton. I don't think there's any doubt about that for obvious reasons. Best free agent signing. Well, not a lot of great choices here, and you're not going to like this choice by me, but I'm going with Frank Gore. 
I know people kind of roll their eyes every time he gets the ball, 37-year-old running back. But, you know, he's doing an okay job. He's only averaging 3.6 per carry, but he brings a lot of leadership to the team. He's dependable, and he's helping out a lot of these young kids. So Frank Gore, the worst free agent signing. I am going with Pierre Desir. Wow. The Jets just have to stop signing former Colt DBs. I mean, Desir's allowed four touchdowns. His passer rating that he's given up is 110. And on Monday night, he was dreadful. I mean, he's supposed to be a press man corner, but he gives up so much cushion. And there was that long pass on Monday night where it didn't even look like he was running after the guy with the ball. I mean, it looked like he was loafing. Just unacceptable. And you saw him pulled out of the game with Bryce Hall going in. You're going to see a lot more of that over the second half of the year. I think you should play Bryce Hall and bench Pierre Desir. Okay, best moment. Not a lot to choose from here, obviously, but I'm going to go with Sam Darnold's 46-yard run in that Thursday night game against Denver. That was a heck of a run. Uh, surprised everyone. And it actually gave the Jets an early lead in that game. And so you're thinking maybe, you know, they're 0-3. If they win that game, they could do something. It didn't It didn't happen, as we know. But, you know, I'm going to give Darnold that. for That was a heck of a run. And the worst moment to me was on Monday night, just when they got beat by their former clutch kicker, Nick Folk, 51 yards as time expired. That was a pretty bad moment in a season of bad moments. Uh, biggest surprise so far? Well, I really don't have one. I mean, I, I just don't think there's been a really big surprise. Now, I have some disappointments, but the biggest disappointment, I think, is Chris Herndon. Uh, could anybody have imagined that after nine games, Chris Herndon would have 10 fewer catches than Braxton Berrios. This is just one of the more stunning, uh, and I don't want to say declines because he never really ascended to being a productive player, but he was just a guy you thought would do better. He's in a funk, and it's just, like I said, really disappointing. Most improved player? I'm going with Foley Fadakasi. He had an outstanding game on Monday night. I think Pro Football Focus had him one of the highest graded players of the week. And I really like him. He's He's got some athleticism for a big man. He's a hard worker. And I think he'll be your starting nose tackle for a, a couple of years at least. Most overrated player. Now, technically, I, I'm stretching this a little bit. He's not on the team right now. But I'm going with Le'Veon Bell. He did not do anything for the Jets I don't think he's the same player. If you've listened to this podcast, you know that I've been saying that all along. And everyone thought, oh, he'll go to Kansas City and he's going to just blossom and stick it in the Jets' faces. Well, he's played uh, three games there, 16 carries, 54 yards. That's 3.4 a carry. Basically, he's doing the same thing there that he did with the Jets for a, a little over a year. So Le'Veon Bell, most overrated, most underrated couple of guys here, but the guy I'm going to go with is John Franklin Myers. He actually has the highest pressure percentage on the team. Guy's got 12 quarterback pressures and 107 pass rushes. That's 11%. That's pretty good. I like John Franklin Myers. And my runner-up here would be Brian Poole, who I think always does a solid job in the slot. My best coaching move uh, obviously not a lot of great choices here, but you know, I'm going to give, throw Gase a bone. I think making Dowell Loggins, the play caller, uh, took 
a bit of a, you know, he had to put his ego aside there, which is, is big for a guy like Adam and made Dowell the play caller, I think for the betterment of the team. Now look, he's had some major issues in the second half of games, but overall I like that move. Worst coaching move. You know, you could, uh, as Parcells once said, you could stack them up like club sandwiches on this one, but, uh, I'm going to say assigning Lamar Jackson to DeAndre Hopkins in the first quarter. I mean, against the Arizona Cardinals, uh, a rookie free agent against arguably the best receiver in the league. And he went for six for 131 and a touchdown. That was not a good move. Now let's turn it a little more toward Joe Douglas, the best personnel move of the year. I think uh, drafting Becton for sure, not even close. And the worst was letting Robbie Anderson go. And he pretty much fessed up to that in his midseason press conference, basically saying he miscalculated his market value. The We Hardly Knew Ye Award goes to Kalen Balage. Remember Kalen Balage? He played about a minute for the Jets, got the quarterback killed, and it was adios, Kalen Balage. That was not a good signing. Now let's get to our MVPs, my defensive MVP. Really... There's only one choice, uh, Quinnen Williams. Um, I don't think he's having a Pro Bowl year by any means, but he leads the team in sacks. He's got one of the highest run-stuffing percentages in the league, and I think they really missed him on Monday night. Uh, so I'm going to go with Quinnen Williams. hope he stays healthy the rest of the way because I want to see what he can do over the second half. And the offensive MVP, which is kind of like – uh, kind of comedic in a way. It's like being the MVP of the Washington Generals. But uh, got to go with Jamison Crowder. Uh, he leads the team in yards, receiving yards, and in touchdowns. Again, not a huge accomplishment being on the MVP of the 32nd ranked offense in the league, but it's something. And so we'll go with Crowder, who he just makes plays. The catch on Monday night was uh, a fantastic toe drag in the corner of the end zone. That was actually, according to Next Gen Stats, that pass by Flacco to Crowder had the lowest probability of being completed of any pass thrown in the NFL this season. I think there was a 6% chance of completing that. The ball traveled, if you don't realize it, it traveled 45 yards in the air. That was one heck of a dime by Joe Flacco. So Crowder gets our offensive MVP. And there you have it, the midseason awards. Here comes the mail. It's the third quarter, and that means we're answering Twitter questions. We've got a few on tap here as Jet fans reaching out to get questions answered as they're trying to figure out what the heck is going on and what the future looks like for this team. So let's start it off with at NJ Real Tornick. Since it, looked like, it looks like Woody Johnson is coming back, will he resume running the team? Will Christopher Johnson continue on in his own role, or will it be a combo deal? So Woody Johnson, of course, is the ambassador to the United Kingdom, the man who appointed that. Tim, to that position is Donald Trump, and Trump is voted out of office. We know that happening in January, so I, too, believe Woody Johnson will be coming home to the States probably in uh, January or February at some point. And here's what's going to happen. Christopher Johnson has said this publicly on a couple of occasions. He will remain in a very prominent role in the upper front office 
Uh, not sure what that role will be, but he really likes being involved in the team, and so he will be there. Uh, Woody Johnson is the owner, so he will be in charge, but I think it'll be um, kind of a combo deal there, and maybe to use a political analogy, like a president, vice president type of deal. And so, yeah, Christopher will stay involved, and Woody is coming back, which will be interesting. Next, from at not Will Carter, outside of Darnold and all of your years reporting on the team, which quarterback had the most potential that the Jets ruined? Wow, that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, they didn't ruin this player, but I think his career was somewhat ruined by happenstance, and I'm referring to Chad Pennington, who I think probably could have been set all the passing records in Jet history if he had stayed healthy. I could still visualize that play in Buffalo when he was scrambling and landed awkwardly into a rotator cuff. I, I still see it. I really do. And it, it, his career was never the same after that. He was such a promising passer. Uh, never had a great arm, but was accurate. He anticipated. Such a good leader. Fiery. Super smart. And so I think I think just karma ruined his career, not the Jets. If you want to say what did the Jets ruin, I think Mark Sanchez was a moderately talented quarterback who could have been a system guy, who could have succeeded if he had been given the tools, uh, a supporting cast. But that supporting cast was just kind of just deteriorated after a couple of years. So I guess I would say Mark Sanchez in that respect. Uh, okay, at Jeremy L08, why are the Jets beat writers soft on Gase? Are they afraid of him or just bad at their jobs? You know, I, I you know, I've heard this before, but I just don't know where that's coming from. I mean, everyone I think has been fairly critical of Gase, and how could you not be? The team is 0 and 9, and uh, I, I think I've been very critical of him, and so I'm not sure where that is coming from. If you want someone to write a story every day just bashing the coach over and over and over again. I don't think that's very journalistically sound, and it's also really not that appealing to the readers to read the same thing over and over again. So that one I don't agree with. Next, at sports underscore FI3ND, who always asks good questions, how much of a mental toll is on the team moving forward? Also, is it safe to say Gase will survive the rest of the season since he hasn't been fired for blowing this last game? Yes, I think he's in it for the duration. You uh, Look, I thought maybe after that Denver game early in the year, but he survived that. And I think it's quite clear that Christopher Johnson does not want to make a change in season. The Johnson family in 20 years of ownership has never done that. I don't think they want to start now. The team is playing hard. They're not playing well, but they're playing hard. And I think Gase has embraced the idea of playing all these rookies. I've been around head coaches who who pushed back and did not want to play young players because they didn't want to jeopardize their record. From all the people I talked to, I haven't heard one word from Gase complaining about that. So he'll keep coaching and he'll go quietly at the end, I think. Uh and yes, I do think the mental toll will get to the Jets. I've seen this before. The team will fight, you know, through eight, ten games, but eventually it affects the team, and there will be some performances later in the year where it just looks like they've quit. As that's just a natural progression of a bad season. Next, from at Fix the Nation, 
61 seasons, 30 losing, worst start ever at 0-9. Is there a systematic cultural problem? If so, how do you fix it? Is the current leadership capable of that? Wow, we could go on and on here, uh, Fix the Nation, and I, I could probably write a book about this. But yeah, I do think there is a systematic cultural problem, and you fix it by hiring a person who's uh, a larger-than-life person who can come in and just mere presence change the way things are done. I mean, they did it in 97 with Bill Parcells. Things changed the moment he walked in the door, and I could cite countless examples, but I think you know where I'd be going with that. I just don't know if that person is in the building. I mean, it really can't be Joe Douglas because it's the GM. He has very limited exposure to the public and the players. It's got to be the coach. I don't know if that coach exists. Maybe Sean Payton, but you're not going to pry him away from the Saints. Jim Harbaugh has some of that, but I wonder if his reputation has been too tarnished by what's been going on at Michigan. So, yeah, it is a cultural problem, and I always believe in sports. It starts at the top, and I have major questions about the way this ownership team has run the organization over the last two decades. Now, they did have a good run in the 2000s. Give Woody Johnson credit for that because they were winning for several years. I think it just got away from them the last few years, and they've made one bad decision after another, and you just can't change owners in sports. We all know that. So, And the last one. Last but not least, from at Terrence Begley, NJ. Flacco threw deep a lot in this game, which the Jets have never allowed Darnold to do this year. Is it strictly because of the receivers, or is it because Darnold is, you know, checking down a lot? Uh, that's a really good question, Terrence. Uh, did a little research on that. I think it's a combination deal, or as Rex Ryan liked to say, a combo platter. Uh, first of all, against New England, New England's a man team. They play a lot of man, and on Monday night, they played man almost 70% of the time. That was the second highest rate in the league for week nine. They also didn't have their best man, and that's Stephon Gilmore. So the Jets really tried to exploit that with a lot of deep vertical routes. I think the return of Brashad Perryman really helped. He was able to stretch the defense against that man coverage. And so that was a reason. And yes, Sam checks down. I think I think he's playing a little overly cautious. I think perhaps because he wants to avoid turnovers. And so I do, do think he was checking down a little bit too much, being a little too overcautious. With Flacco, it was really the other way. I mean, he was overly he was under cautious on that one pass, the interception, and it really maybe it cost him the game. But, yeah, that was a really good question. Flacco throws a better deep ball than Darnold. And, uh, you know, I think they're going to try to exploit that for as long as Flacco is the quarterback. And this is the fourth quarter of Flight Deck. And we're going to do something a little different here, keeping in line with the midseason theme. We're going to make some bold predictions for the second half of the year. So here goes. I think Brashad Perriman is going to catch fire like he did last year in Tampa Bay and earn himself another semi-lucrative contract in free agency. I think Pierre Desir is going to get benched very soon in favor of rookie Bryce Hall. 
I think Ashton Davis is going to keep his starting job for the rest of the year, even when Bradley McDougal comes back from his injury, and McDougal won't be happy about it. So the Jets will be starting two rookies in the secondary, Davis and Hall. I think Sam Darnold's going to come back for the last six games, which means I think he'll miss one more. He'll have a couple of real nice 300-yard passing days, but they will lose because the defense will give away the lead. I don't think the Jets will finish 32nd in offense for the second year in a row. Uh, you know, they do play some middle-of-the-road defenses, and so with the somewhat soft schedule, I think they'll put up some mildly impressive numbers. And uh, let's see. I think Chris Herndon will have only one touchdown catch this year, but it will come against Jamal Adams and the Seattle Seahawks when those teams square off in December. Adams, of course, will complain about it afterwards, saying that Herndon pushed off. And for a prediction for the Jets, they're going to go 1-15, and, and that one win will come in the final game of the year at Foxborough on a last-second field goal by Sergio Castillo. The win will cost the Jets the number one pick in the draft, so instead of drafting Trevor Lawrence, they will have the number two pick and will have to decide between Justin Fields or keeping Sam Darnold. They will draft Justin Fields. So anyway, just looking into the crystal ball a little bit, having a little fun. We'll see where it goes. This could be history in the making over the final seven games. Could be a historic Jet season, but not the good kind of history. Just want to thank you for stopping by on this week's Flight Deck. You can pick up Flight Deck anywhere you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on any of the ESPN platforms. Please rate and subscribe. Want you to have a great bye weekend. Try to take your mind off the Jets, and we'll be back next week on Flight Deck.